the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, Israel finds their way back to a place of true repentance and restored relationship with God, who is about to raise up another judge to help deal with the Ammonites. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 10, verse 11. Once again, that's Judges chapter 10, verse 11. Look at verse 11. And the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Did I deliver you from the Egyptians, from the Amorites, from the children of Ammon, from the Philistines, the Sidonians also, the Amalekites, the Manite, did oppress you? And you cried to me, and I delivered you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Wherefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry unto the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. Ouch. That's, that's heavy. God, first off in verse 11, also in verse 12, he lists every people he's rescued Israel from when they cried out to him. He goes all the way back to Egypt and how he raised up Moses to rescue them from Egypt, all the way down to Gideon with the Midianites. It says the Manites there. It's just another name for the Midianites. Every time that they had gotten in trouble with another nation because of their sin, that they cried out to him, he rescued them. Everything from Exodus all the way to Judges chapter 9 is here. Everything. And yet the Lord says to them, I'm not going to do it again. You see, there was a common theme with each of these deliverances. Israel had been unfaithful by embracing other gods, but something's different this time. This time they abandon the Lord completely. They just completely reject him. So the Lord says, well, you can't just show up all of a sudden and say, help me out. You rejected me. Things need to be reestablished first here. And if they're not, then I'm not going to rescue you this time. He says, Yet have you forsaken me. Yet means in contrast to all the other times I delivered you. This time something's different. You've left me. You have completely abandoned me, deserted me, rejected me to serve these other gods. Wherefore, I will deliver you. It says no more in the King James. That's a bad translation. The more isn't there. It just means I'm not going to deliver you this time. This instance is what God is speaking about. And there's a reason. It's because they had not reestablished relationship with him first. And so instead, as the Lord says, I will not deliver you, it means I will not add to those rescues. 
Every time you came to me before, I added to those rescues, but I'm not this time because things need to be repaired here first before we can even talk about where we go from here. So instead, God offers them a plan that makes logical sense if these gods are so much better than him. Go and cry unto the gods which you have chosen. The word they're chosen means which you've preferred, which are better than me. If they're so much better than me, let them deliver you in your time of your trouble. Now, while that makes logical sense, everyone here knows that's not working. So why would God do this when they've confessed their sin? Doesn't God promise to forgive us when we confess our sin? Isn't that 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. True. However, there's other things the Lord says when it concerns forgiveness. God also talks about two other things. Number one, accepting the consequences of my actions. And number two, reestablishing our relationship, repentance. He talks about those two things as it regards forgiveness. In Leviticus chapter 26, verses 40 through 42, the Lord had told them this. He says in Leviticus 26, verse 40, referring to when they would go away from them, he says, and if they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespassers, they have trespassed against me. And then also they have walked contrary to me. They'd already done that. They did do that part. But then verse 41, and that I have also walked contrary unto them and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember and I will remember the land. They didn't do that part. And secondly, repentance. In Proverbs 28, verse 13, it tells us, whosoever covers his sins shall not prosper. But then it says, whosoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. It's not just about confession. Honest confession is important. Leviticus 26, verse 40 tells us that. Not making excuses for your sin is important. Leviticus 26, 40 says that as well. But I cannot expect God to just erase all the consequences of behavior just because he's forgiven me or just because I ask him. Nor can I expect my confession to be heard if I have no intention of restoring my relationship with him. If I have no intention of changing direction. Many churchgoers wonder why they struggle to love Jesus and obey his word. The pastor talks about it and I want to do that, but I can't seem to do it. I remember Pastor Gibb told me a story once. It was very early in my relationship with him, my friendship with him. And he was telling me a story about it because I was counseling somebody and we weren't getting anywhere. And he said, well, have you ever asked if they've repented? And he told a story of someone many years ago and they had problems with gossip and some other things. And they said, I don't want to do this anymore, but they just never experienced change. And finally he just asked me, he goes, have you ever repented? Turned out she had never repented of anything. She'd never come to the Lord and said, Lord, what I'm doing, my whole life is just wrong. It's just, it's doing what I want to do. It's living life on my terms. And Lord, I want to turn around and change direction. That day she prayed and made that commitment to the Lord. And gossip wasn't a problem anymore. Repentance is crucial. I can't adopt God's ways without making my relationship with him right. They couldn't just like jump back into the mix again and go, we're back, Lord. 
how about we, you know, go back to the, do the tabernacle thing and the sacrifices and we can, you know, we can just, you know, pretend like none of the last 18 years ever happened. Does any relationship you have work like that? I don't know of any relationship that I have that works like that. You know, when I lose my temper with my kids or if I fail them, I can't just pretend like it didn't just happen. There needs to be a conversation. They need to understand that I love them. They need to know it's okay. What daddy did was wrong. We please forgive me. Relationship needs to be restored. So trust can be restored. The Lord says in Leviticus 26, verse 41, he says, you also need to acknowledge, you know what? I've been walking contrary to you. I've been opposed to everything you've been doing. We can't just ignore the fact that we've been going in opposite directions. We need to meet, restore things. Many churchgoers struggle because they've never repented of their sin. Listen, I'm not saved by my ability to repent of every sin I've ever committed. If that was the case, none of us are going to heaven. But I must adopt a mindset. There must be repentance that takes place in my life. A mindset that says, Lord, I'm not going to love what I love anymore. I'm going to love what you love. I'm going to hate what you hate. I must choose to forsake my way of doing things. Otherwise, there is no salvation. You can't turn to Christ unless you've turned away from something else. You can't start following Jesus unless you stop following wherever it was you were going before. Otherwise, God's no different than the Arabian genie in the lamp. And that's unfortunately how Israel treated this with kind of a half repentance here, a half confession. What's the greatest commandment? To love God with everything that's in me, right? I can't live that out on my own. Nobody can. But you can choose that. I catch myself sometimes when I'm doing my devotion and, oh, Lord, help me to do that. And, and I hear that still small voice and says, I will, Will, but that's not really what's at stake here right now. Like what's at stake here is will you choose to do that? I'll help you. I got all the help in the world for you. I love you. You're my kid. I will help you, but Will you choose that? Ah, that's where the the whole wrestling match starts, right? It's easy to say, well, God, can you help me do this? It's different to say, God, I choose to reject the way I've been doing things and I choose to adopt this. I choose to go that direction now. So the greatest commandment is to love God with all that's in us. God doesn't make that choice for you. He doesn't make that choice for me. And so if you've never made that choice to repent of your sins and to love God with everything that's in you, intellectually agreeing with the gospel or even intellectually agreeing with what the Bible has to say won't save you because God resists the proud. It just becomes a new legalism, a new spirituality without really knowing the Lord. Now, God's beautiful promise is that while he resists the proud, he what? He gives grace to the humble, right? So if you've never repented of your sins, humble yourself before the Lord. Turn away from your way of doing life. Trust him instead and choose to love and follow him with your whole heart. Because if you do, he'll give you a new heart. He'll put his spirit in you and Jesus will give you all the mercy and all the grace you need no matter how many times you blow it from that time forward. 
Israel knew all that. It wasn't hidden from them. I read it to you from Leviticus. And their reaction proves it because after God lays this on them, look at what they say. Verse 15, Judges 10. And the children of Israel said unto the Lord, we have sinned. Do thou unto us whatever seems good unto you. Deliver us only, we pray you this day. And then look at verse 16. And they put away the strange gods from among them and served the Lord. They accepted the consequences. They said, we have sinned. In other words, Lord, this isn't your fault. And see, that's the problem sometimes when people make their confession to God, you know, and like, God, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know I want to do this. You know, you know, I don't want to be this way. And, and Lord, you know, can you just please help me? Can I translate that for you? It's not really my fault, God. It's yours. Now, I know you're probably not thinking that when you're saying it, but that's what you're saying. And it shows a fundamental problem in here. When I'm doing that, it shows a fundamental problem in here. But I've not really repented yet. I've not really accepted the consequences of my actions. When they say we have sinned, the word sin there, it means we bear the blame. We deserve what's happening to us. So Lord, you do unto us whatever seems good unto you. The word there, good, means what is morally right. Lord, you don't ever mess up. You don't ever sin. So you do whatever you think you need to do with us. But it's morally right. We trust that you don't fail like we do. We're in this mess. We did it to ourselves. This isn't your fault, God. We're returning to you on your terms. So whatever you think is right, do it. We're not asking for blessings. The only thing we're pleading with you is we are in a hot mess right now. And can you just rescue us from our oppressors? That's all we ask, even though we don't deserve anything. And then to follow that up by finally getting rid of all the idols? Can I tell you something? That's a confession. That's a prayer. That's a response that will get another response from the Lord. (laughs) God will never just sit there and go, yeah, I don't know. There's times I do that with people. People like they're starting to change and they're starting to try to go a different direction and they may even apologize and stuff, but party is going, I'm not ready to trust you just yet. That's not how the Lord is at all. Now, too often we don't get to that place though where God is moved to help us. Too often we say we'll return to God, but we still demand our terms. Or we get upset when God doesn't respond the way we want. Well, I started going back to church, God. Why, why has everything gotten better? Start praying, reading my Bible again. How come things haven't gotten better? Well, God doesn't work that way. That's, that's just a new legal relationship with him. It's pride. And pride, man, pride gets in the way of so many things that God wants to do in our lives. Can I share something with you? Here's how messed up the enemy is and how messed up he can get us sometimes. Do you know that God is not intimidated by any of your failures, any of your sin? Do you realize that? God's not up in heaven, you know. It's not like I, I did something yesterday and God was just sitting there and he's going, okay, things are looking good. This whole Middle East thing's kind of weird, checking out some of the problems in the world. And all of a sudden he goes, oh my goodness, what did Will just do? Gabriel, what is going on? I have no clue how we're going to handle this. God is not intimidated by my sin. He's not up in heaven just going, I don't know how to handle this. God is not intimidated by your sin. He's not scratching his head going, I don't know what to do about this one. I've had some weird ones. Cain, that was a real ringer, you know. And that old Joab guy, you know, David tried to fight. I tried to kill him like eight times and they just keep sticking. God's not intimidated by your sin. In Psalm 103, it's one of my favorite Psalms in the whole Bible. And it talks about that. 
It says in Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He won't always chide. He's not always going to be upset with us. Neither will he keep his anger forever. He's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Praise God for that. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Like a father, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fears him. Why? Because he knows, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. The greatest lessons I ever learned was from Pastor Chuck's assistant pastor, Romain. He said, you know, God expects you to do one thing, fail. He knows that's going to happen. That's why Jesus came. He loved us so immensely that he wouldn't let our failures get in the way of our relationship. Now, here's where it's so messed up, okay? That's the truth, but here's where it's so messed up. Satan gets us to focus on our past or current struggles with sin. He's always bringing it up. And then we make it an issue between us and God. Now, it's not an issue for God, all right? In 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, it tells us, it says, This then is a message which we have heard of him, and we declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, if we say we have fellowship with him, we walk in darkness, we're lying, and we're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, guess what? We have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The phrase there, cleanses, is in the present tense. It means it's just continually washing us over and over and over again. So if we say we don't have sin, we're just deceiving ourselves and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, well, then we make him a liar and his word is not in us. There are three things there that are no bueno. One is walking in darkness. The other one is claiming we have no sin. That we, well, no, I didn't, do, I didn't do anything wrong. And then saying we have not sinned, that we justify it. Those are the three things that are no bueno. Those are the three things that will get in your way of your relationship with God. So if the enemy comes to me, and, and here he is, and he tries to get me to focus on how God, I can't talk to God because of my failures. The Lord never says that there. Not one of those three is listed there as the no bueno. Instead, it says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, his blood is continually washing us. We have fellowship with each other. We're still in fellowship with each other. And we're still in fellowship with him. So what's the point? God's not intimidated by my sin. I need to come to him with it. I need to bring it to him and go, Lord, I blew it. Blew it. Completely blew it. Own it. I know this is what I deserve, but I'm coming to you because, Lord, it's the only place I can bring it. It's the right place to bring it. And so the enemy tries to get us focused on keeping the thing from him or trying to fix it on our own or trying to justify it somehow when all those are the things that get us in trouble. There's a song written by a good band and they're called The Waiting. And they wrote a song called uh, Look at Me. And the chorus goes like this. It says, I love the way you look at me, seeing the bride beneath the harlot's skin. I can't remember the lyrics. But that one's good enough. <laughs> the bride beneath the harlot's skin, you know, the virtue underneath the sin. You know, I love the way you look at me and the way you say your vows. 
It's a beautiful song. It talks about basically a guy who wakes up in the morning, he sees the sun, beautiful sunshine coming through the window, and he's laying there in his bed, and he's going, I'm I'm ugly, I'm horrible, I'm, I'm wicked. And that the Lord's there to greet him in the morning with new mercies and to fellowship with him. That's the Lord. He's not scared off by your sin. He's not intimidated by it. He has answers for it. And this is what gets a response. When you're crying out to him and going, Lord, no, it's wrong, and, and turning around, but Lord, I need you near to me. I want you. Lord, how can he not respond to that? That's what he wants. He wants us. So walk in the light like Israel does here the second time, you know, in Judges 10, where they, they say, Lord, whatever you want, we just want to be back with you. And whatever you do to us, we don't care. We just want to be back with you. And they get rid of all their idols. That's what we need to do. Because whenever you do that, he's going to show you mercy. Because his heart for you is bigger than any sin you could commit. Look at God's reaction. It says, and his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. Isn't that powerful? God's soul? Like, what does that mean? God doesn't have a soul. He's not a person like us. But the word soul there, it means the essence of your being, his heart. His heart was broken. The word there, grieved, it means when you can no longer bear something. It's so awful, so hard, you can no longer handle it. He said, I can't bear it anymore. Do you know how many times that phrase is in Scripture? where the Lord, they're getting what they deserve, and everything's horrible. But he looks down and just goes, I can't take it anymore. And he does something to intervene. Now, here's the kicker. Knowing that, knowing that about the Lord, yet he doesn't intervene when his beloved son, who has been with him for all eternity, never sinned, never failed, did everything that pleased him, is dying on a cross for our sin. And he doesn't intervene so we can be saved. How big is God's love for you? How big is God's heart for you? Israel's messed up, but it's his mess. They're his people. And so he decides to intervene. This is why it's just absurd to think we can earn God's blessings. We can earn God's favor. Because God's just looking for any excuse in the book to bless you. Looking for any reason he can bless you. The only thing that gets in the way is stubborn pride. Now, God doesn't speak to Israel about his breaking heart for them and his plans to rescue them yet to stop this mess that they're in. But things are getting pretty heated with the Ammonites. And so verse 17, it says, Then the children of Ammon were gathered together and encamped in Gilead. And so the children of Israel, they said, We, we can't just lay down again. We got to go fight them. And so they assembled themselves together and encamped in Mizpah. So they're kind of on different sides of the Transjordan there. And the people, the princes of Gilead, they said one to another, What man is he that will begin to fight against the children of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Now, unlike the Midianites, the Ammonites were not nomadic. They had a land. Their capital city is the modern-day city of Ammon in Jordan. That's where their land was. And so the Ammonites didn't set up camp in Israel when they would invade. They'd come, invade, take what they wanted, and took it back home. So they would oppress Israel from a distance. So now they're back. They're back for another invasion, back to take a bunch of stuff, back to 
put them under the oppression again. But this time the Israelites say, we're going to fight. But they have a problem. God hasn't raised up a judge to lead them this time. So they decide to entice someone with the promise of rule. They decide, who's going to fight for us? Well, whoever he is, he can rule over us. He'll be the head. And so even in repentance, even though Israel's in a better place, they have still fallen so far from God's word. Judges were not supposed to rule. They were to lead, and there's a big difference. Leadership doesn't require a title. It requires service. Listen, whatever your past, however you've done wrong or however you've been wronged, you can still walk with the Lord moving forward. Will you? Let's pray. Lord, we don't want to be those who make excuses for why we don't walk with you. We want to be those who do the hard things when it's necessary, maybe even doing the unfair things, Lord, when it's the right thing to do, when it pleases you. Truth is, Lord, we've all got a history, and it's for all who sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, Lord, if you can save us, well, certainly there's grace to use us as well. So, Lord, we don't want to listen to those lies of the enemy anymore. We want to come to you, leave all that behind, and say, Lord, no more excuses. I just want to follow you. I just want to obey you. I just want you. I want to be where you want me to be. So here I am, Lord. Take me and spend me for your glory. Moving forward. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours. Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.